Good morning. We are jumping into 1 Samuel, and today, what is it, 7 and 8? <clears throat> so, you know, the Old Testament is really interesting, and I think a lot of people see it as a barrier. Um, you know, let's say you're not, you're not a, um, you know, a Bible studying Christian, maybe you're a Bible reading Christian, I kind of make the point that reading the Bible is great, it's not the same as studying the Bible. Studying the Bible is a deliberate activity, um, and it's objective, and, and you, you look for certain goals, and, and a lot of people, I think, are, are a little unwilling maybe sometimes to crack open the Old Testament because it seems a bit daunting, and it is, and if you crack open, <clears throat> you know, let's say you just randomly crack something open, and you're jumping into numbers, and all of a sudden you're seeing all these lists of people and, and place names that seem odd to you, and numbers and counts and census and sensi, I don't know even know if that's, is that the plural of census? We don't know. We'll look that up. Uh, you're, you're overwhelmed, and you're like, what am I doing in here? But I have to say that a lot of the Old Testament is really interesting. It's, it's fantastic storytelling, um, and not from the idea of, 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 of fictional storytelling. It's absolutely real, absolutely based on real events. All you have to do is crack open 1 Samuel, and all of a sudden, you've got an arc heist story. Uh, you've, you know, you've got battles, and you've got action, and you've got uh, adventure, and, um, and conquest, and all of these great stories in here. And today, um, you know, it's not going to be much different. So uh, where are we at in 1 Samuel? So um, it's important to remember that this is, this is activity that took place a long time ago. And long, you know, again, long is a relative term. Um, probably somewhere around 10... 11th century BC, so about about a thousand BC, um, uh, so three thousand years ago. Um, what is what is the people of Israel? What was the culture of Israel? And here I've got a blown up view of the region of Israel that's also called Canaan. It's also called Palestine. Um, it's also called the Levant. And so here we've got to kind of anchor ourselves. We've got Jabus, which will become Jerusalem eventually the Dead Sea, Dead Sea, um, uh, the name has been given to it because it is a very low um, uh, body of water that it does not have drainage, so it just evaporates, and so it's full of salt, and so, uh, you know, not a lot of things can live in it, you certainly can't drink it, and then the Jordan River that feeds into it, so here is Jabus or Jerusalem, and then a whole bunch of little towns that we'll read about today, and that you read about when you, when you read certain books of the Old Testament, where a lot of very interesting things happened. <clears throat> And so if I were to move this all the way out, here, out here would be the Mediterranean Sea all the way out here and the land of the Philistines. This is hill country and mountainous terrain. And in the, in the, it's the Judean hill country or Judean mountains. And this is where a lot of the stories of the Old Testament take place because this is where the people of Israel have gathered. This is a period in which the people of Israel are very decentralized. They're broken up into what we call 12 tribes, <clears throat> And there is no central monarchy. There's no central government. We talked a few weeks ago about the fact that a lot of the neighbors of Israel, Egypt, the Hittites, um, the Mycenaeans who have now collapsed, Assyrians, and, and eventually Babylonians, they, they all, and Sumerians that preceded them, they all had these very centralized governments, a, a very powerful king who was in charge, a central bureaucracy that controlled all aspects of life, agricultural, economic, trade, religious. But the people of Israel don't have that during this period. And, and now, as we've started to see, the people are crying out for a king. Why? Because the people around them seem to have it so good. 
Okay, and, and this is a real important point for today, is be careful what you ask for. <laughs> if, if I were to give a title to today's uh, lesson, it's be careful what you, God, what you ask God for, because he might just give it to you. It's easy for us to look at rose-colored goggles at what other people have. You know, this whole idea of the grass is always greener on the other side. That is a, a very true human statement that applied 3,000 years ago as it does today. The people of Israel, and, and as we've seen, have gone through a lot in the past 400 years leading up to this story. Decentralized, no real leadership. Of occasionally, God would raise up a judge or an advocate or, a, or essentially a military ruler to kind of wipe out the Israel's enemies and they would kind of all go back to peace and stability, but that wouldn't last very long. And so there's been a lot of chaos. There was a civil war that was fought just a few years before this was written. <clears throat> so things are unsteady. The economy is not very good. In fact, the economy of this region was never very good until the time of Solomon. And that was kind of a brief period in which the wealth of Israel was at its peak. But before and after that, things are tough. It's an agrarian society. There's not a lot of economy. There's not a lot of trade. So the people are very poor. They're constantly subjected to the attacks of their neighbors, like the Philistines. <clears throat> and there's a lot of religious corruption, okay? Um, there's a lot of worship of false gods and idols and pagan deities. And a lot of that has a lot of worship associated with it. It's very tough, um, you know, sacrificing children and sacrificing your crops and doing all kinds of detestable practices. So it's fair to say that leading up to what we're going to read today, Israel has been in a lot of chaos, okay? And the people are feeling that. The people are feeling that. And so these people who have been through a lot, a lot of, of bad stuff, and let's be honest, a lot of it's on them, are looking around at their neighbors saying, well, gosh, things are so great in Egypt. <laughs> They've got a pharaoh. They have got plenty to eat. They've got a lot of money. I, you know, the people who have been to Egypt say they've got these great monuments and these great buildings. They've got these pyramids that are gigantic, the biggest things that any human has ever built up till that time. Why, why can't we have that? I want to have that, right? So there is a lot of pressure on they the leaders of Israel to have a king. Go ahead. Do they not remember that they built those buildings? <laughs> That's good. I like that. No, I'm serious. Well, how, how, how long does human memory last, right? Just, just a few years before this, uh, 50,000 troops of their, of their best fighting uh, troops of their army got wiped out by the Philistines, right? It's so easy for these people to forget where they've been and what they've been through. Totally agree, James. And all they have to go by is word of mouth yep. at this point. Yep. So, you know, it's like, you know, you really believe what great-great-grandpa was saying about them? I don't think it's that bad. Couldn't have been that bad. <laughs> I mean, it's just making bricks. So. Yep. Yeah, they did a job. Exactly. How, how soon did the Hebrews leave Egypt that they were saying those exact things? Mm -hmm. Like, literally, they got about five minutes outside of, <laughs> like, of Goshen. They're like, yeah, it wasn't so bad. I never understood that. Five minutes. <clears throat> Walking through the, the Red Sea and then pillar of fire and smoke. I'm like, but it was so great in Egypt. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> but let's pause. Let's pause because this is absolutely critical. Is it really that surprising? No, because we're doing it. That's it. Life was so great pre COVID. <laughs> mm -hmm. PC? <laughs> PC. <laughs>
why can't we just go back to that? I think right? I think some of it is the way the human brain is wired, though. I mean, if you think yeah. about childbirth and what it is and, oh. and what it's like or any That's painful good. experiences that we go through, mm-hmm. we don't remember it with the pain fully intact. Our brain doesn't, doesn't remember the pain completely mm-hmm. the way it was. Yeah. And I think um, part of that is why they're not, they're not remembering it accurately. I'm looking around at the ladies in the room. See. I mean, we literally would have one child each and be done if we really... Or <laughs> if our moms explained it very accurately, we may not have children anymore. I think we might have scared them off. <laughs> I, mean, I, was having, I was eating McDonald's french fries during labor. Well, she was having ice chips, and I will never do that again. I remember, <laughs> you learned your life. I remember clearly <laughs> the pain of labor. That's good. <clears throat> the dent in the head from things thrown at me. So this is good. This is this is exactly it. Um, and you know, uh, part of it is just that human beings reproduce, and we die, and we have children, and a new generation comes along that didn't know how bad or how good things were before it. That's part of it too. So let's get into the word today, and we're going to start reading right away, and then we can really kind of break this all down. Now, I want to make a comment about the chapter and verse headings. I I make this comment a lot. The chapter and verse headings were not in the original manuscripts. They were added much later, much, much later in the Middle Ages as a way to help to organize and and, uh, collate the Holy Scriptures so that study could be done of them and references could be made of them. In fact, even the punctuation that we have today in, in the Bible, in the translation that you have, is artificial. There were no periods, commas, semicolons, question marks, in the original Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. So when you open up your, your Bible and sometimes you read and you're like, why did they put, why, why did the author put chapter 7, verse 1, right in the middle of a sentence? Well, he didn't. He didn't. And so this, 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 and there's a couple of ways that we're going to see that play out today. First is the artificial uh, application of chapter seven here, uh, the the number. It really kind of starts at the very end of the last uh, section. So I'm not going to start with seven one. I'm going to start with seven two. So if someone could please read for me seven verse two, and we will read to the end of that, which is seventeen. So two to seventeen. Who could read that for me? I can read that. Thank you. From the day that the ark was lodged at Jerem, a long time passed between twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel of Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. 
Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called the name Ebenezer, for he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel all, in all the, the, these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, Ramah, and here all, or there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. Thank you. So for those of you who have been reading along in the previous chapters, um, what do you notice the tone of the, of the people's... <coughs> The, the people of Israel, their attitude here, how is it different from the preceding chapters? Seems like there's repentance. Yes. Let's do this. Israel's current attitude. Now, when you say there's repentance, repentance. first of all, brother, tell me what repentance means. Well, it means recognize something wrong that you've done, usually on a personal basis, on a nationwide basis here too. You recognize something wrong and you turn from it. You turn to what you feel or believe or is right. Okay, very good. And so the people of Israel before this, how how what were they doing that they're repenting from? Idol worship. Idol worship, that's a big one. So Idols, gods that are not Yahweh. Okay, what else? <clears throat> not trusting in the one true God. Yeah. Yep. And Taking. actually worshiping Him. <laughs> yep. Yep. Taking things into their own hands. Yep. Trying to Check. trying to do things the way it always was. That's it. Taking. Um, and. What was what was a good example of them taking matters into their own hands? Well, they thought if they had the ark with them that they just yeah. automatically win. And and win what specifically? What was happening that Battle. they brought the ark for? Battle. Battle. So look, you are so lucky. You live in the United States in the twenty first century. If you live in South Sudan today, or you lived in Israel in the 11th century BC, the number one thing on your mind, if it wasn't, where am I going to eat today? Where am I going to get my meal? Is who the heck is going to attack me today? You live in a country of stability and peace. And yes, uh, look, you turn on the news and you read about these, these riots going on in the centers of our, of our cities. Folks, that ain't nothing compared to what life was like in the past or what life is like today in other <coughs> countries. Violence was endemic personal violence and military violence was ongoing constant a constant threat the people of Israel are under the constant threat of attack from their neighbors from all around them people who wanted their stuff and to take their stuff away from them the problem was that in the preceding chapters as as you are all rightly noting is that when their enemies the people of Israel's enemies would attack they were not turning to God for help they were not turning to God for advice or for direction. And so they took matters into their own hands. And, and what happened there 
was probably, T-H-E-I-R, was probably what you would expect. God says, fine, if you're not going to consult me and ask me what I think or what I think you should do, you're going to suffer what you suffer. You're on your own, so to speak. And what we saw was the people saying, no, 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 don't worry about asking God what he thinks. You know, when these Philistines are attacking us, let's just go get the ark, our most sacred religious object, and treat it like a magical object. Treat it like an atomic bomb of magic and bring it to the battlefield and we'll slay all of our enemies. Like thinking like, you know, again, getting back to Raiders of the Lost Ark, what, what in the story Hitler thought he could do take the Ark of the Covenant and kind of just parade it out in front of his enemies and slay them all. But what ends up happening? God says, nah, 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 that's not how it works. I'm the power behind the Ark. The Ark is just a piece of gold wrapped around acacia wood with some stones in it. The Ark is special because I told you it was special and I am the one that brings power upon the Ark and upon you. So. He allows the Israelites to be slain in battle in great numbers. Their entire army is wiped out. The Ark is stolen, and that led us to the heist story, the Italian job of the Ark making its way through the Philistine territory until it arrives at Kiriath-Jerim, where we pick up here. And so, this is absolutely the point, that during all of those first few chapters of Samuel, not all of them, but a lot of it, the people of Israel are like, well, I don't understand what happened. We didn't ask God for his advice. We didn't pray. We didn't, we didn't admit we were wrong. Gosh, this is so important, folks. This is so important. Repentance. You've got to admit you were wrong. Humble yourself. God hates a proud person. He hates it. Why? Because you're nobody. <laughs> you're everything and you're nobody. You should admit that you have faults and weaknesses and that you've done wrong. Now, we're seeing here the people are doing that. And Samuel is leading them. He is saying. At least, at least they're asking Samuel to do it for them. Well, that's better than nothing, right? That's <laughs> yeah, good. So. I like that. Asking Samuel to do it for them. Well, and to be fair, yeah. at that time, they didn't have, they had that whole setup where they didn't have a direct connection with, with the father. They that's couldn't. it. That's it. Mm -hmm. This is a really good one. Really and also, Brian, what you said about the ark is only special because God called it special. And it's the same way with the Hebrew people. They're only special because he says that they're special. Yep. That's the same thing with, like, with even baptism. This is good. And, yeah. I mean, that's, that's just water out yep. there, right? Yeah. Yep. The, the magic is what happens when somebody chooses to do it. And, and God says, okay, I recognize that. That's when it happens. When God recognizes, it's yeah. How many of you have traveled? I'll use Europe as a specific example. You've gone into one of the great cathedrals of Europe, and they've got a reliquary in there. What is a reliquary? Some kind of either body part of a very important person from the Bible, or even the blood of Jesus himself, or the crown of thorns of Jesus himself. Or, or a piece of someone's cloth that you know they wore, and it's venerated. It's it's wrapped in gold, and it's it's hung on the wall, or it's in a special crypt, and 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 it's the talk of the town. We still do that today, folks. We still do that today, where we take what is mundane, and you know, the cup of Christ. Maybe we'll talk about that, right? The Holy Grail. That's some kind of special magical object that if I can just get a hold of it, you know, I'll have great power. Folks, it doesn't work that way. 
It doesn't work that way. But, but how, how in tune are we in our DNA, written into our DNA, that we think that that's the important thing? That if I can just get a fragment of the, of the burial cloth that Jesus was buried in, I'll have great power, or God will you know, give me great blessing. It's not how it works. Well, it's, if you look no. at some churches, I mean, they even pray to the saints or to the Virgin Mary yeah. because they they believe that they mm-hmm. somehow, I mean, they were very important people yeah. and they definitely yeah. lived for Christ, yeah. but they weren't God. Yeah. And they get confused. We could have a whole class on, on um, Catholic uh, 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 saint worship. Uh, we won't do that today. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we will pause that conversation yeah. for today. Um, but this is absolutely right. And so what we see here is at least an attempt for the people to come back, to repent, to say they were wrong, and come back to God and and to do right. It's interesting here. I don't know if... First, I want to make the point here that if you will remember, um, right in the beginning, where was the Ark of the Covenant kept for over 300 years when the people, the Hebrews, entered the land of Canaan? What? Bethel. Shiloh. Shiloh. That's it. Yep. No, you're, you're right. right. You're right. You nope. it, like, oh, no, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> as soon as you said Shiloh, I'm like, nope, I'm not right. <laughs> it's all good. You got this town. See, I tricked this question. Good. See, I got to keep you on your toes, right? Um, so we have this town called Shiloh. After the battle in which basically the whole Israelite army is wiped out and the, and the ark is captured, we do not hear about Shiloh again. In fact, when the ark does come back, they keep it in this guy's house in Kiriath-Jerim. What happened to Shiloh? It's been wiped out. Um, later, uh, in, in the Old Testament, the prophets will refer to the fact, and in fact, I think even in Hebrews, I could be wrong about this, they refer to the fact that Shiloh was destroyed. It's, it's certain it was destroyed. So the Philistines, they took the ark, they wiped out the army, and then they went and they wiped out Shiloh. What was in Shiloh where the ark was? <clears throat> tabernacle. The tabernacle was there. Now, the big question of the day is what happened to the tabernacle? No one is really sure if the original tabernacle was destroyed or if it was hastily, you know, remember, this is a tent, semi-permanent tent that represented the, the dwelling place of God. What happened to that? If I were a betting man, and I, I probably shouldn't, if I say this, this is wrong, I would guess that when <coughs> the Israelites see the Philistines coming over the seventh hill to destroy Shiloh, they probably tried to gather up as much as they possibly could and get it out of there as quickly as they could. Remember, these were very holy uh, places. When they started with the ark? The ark was already gone. Oh, okay. So when the ark is gone, now they're like, well, crap, they took the ark. They might try and take all the other stuff. I'm guessing, you know, the candelabras and the, and, the, and the showbread tables and all the other things, the altar, all of that was probably hastily moved. <clears throat> so we don't really know what happened to it, but we know, at least I don't believe that we think that the, that was all reassembled in Kiriath-Jerim. So for now, there seems to be this weird period where there is no central place to worship. This is a really important one, guys and gals. This is a really important one. There is no central sacrifice and worship in Israel. It's weird that like Samuel, you know, he grew up in the tabernacle. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so it's weird that he didn't like try and get them to like, it must not have been important to God or, you know, for them to not, rec- I mean, yep. does, we don't know that Samuel said, hey, where's the tabernacle? Let's recreate it in Rama where I live or something. And I think it's important, this, this, this is a really good point too, folks. The absence of evidence 
is not evidence of absence. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> Just because the Bible doesn't say something specifically doesn't mean it didn't happen. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a really good point to say, with what little we have, the few sentences written 3,000 years ago, there's no way to know if the tabernacle was in fact reconstituted somewhere. It very well could have been, but just because we don't read about it doesn't mean you can assume it wasn't. That's my point, so go ahead. Just for uh, chronological purpose, you know what the time period was after like when Shiloh happened and, until and they brought the art back into Kiriath Germ? It was a few months, remember? Just a few months? Yeah. It was, it was months, and then it stays in Kiriath for 20 years. Okay? And we, we, when we reckoned this, I think a few weeks ago, we reckoned that the ark may have been stolen sometime during the uh, late season harvest in September, October. And I don't want to get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the, uh, uh, the ark probably came back sometime in the spring. And so it was probably a six to nine month window over the winter in which the ark had been in Philistine hands. So I imagine they were probably in their lowest of lows after that happened. Things were going bad, but now they're really bad. In in reference to Samuel not trying to reestablish the tabernacle and all that stuff, what it does say he did was he took a, a rock and put it on the ground and said... Thus far, the Lord has helped us. And he called that rock what? I don't have that. Ebenezer. It's so funny. Charles Dickens was, he, oh, was either a great scholar of the <clears throat> Old Testament, or, uh, or he represents the 19th century trend, which was you named your kids after Old Testament heroes, right? Or villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ebenezer, Ichabod, Crane, right? All these other things. Um, <clears throat> but there's another, there's another piece in here. Where was it? In the very last sentence, and he built an altar to the Lord in Ramah. This is really important. It, this, is, this is important from a historical perspective, more than anything. There was no real central temple, and the tabernacle is not around. You could build an altar to <clears throat> Yahweh and, and sacrifice anywhere, because there was nowhere for you to go. And so that was totally legitimate. And so this is totally legal here. But if you read Deuteronomy, you know Moses said the time is coming in which that's not going to happen anymore. What's going to happen after this period? That's really important. Is that going to continue? You can just sacrifice anywhere? Where are you going to sacrifice? They're going to build the Jerusalem. Yeah. Where the great temple, Solomon's temple will be built here in about, I don't know, 60 years, give or take, 40 to 60 years. And this, again, is really important because you're going to see a complete transformation of the Israelite culture from decentralized everything, management, leadership, military, to a very strong centralized government in which it's not just the military and a king, but a priest, priestly system in which you can only sacrifice to Yahweh for your burnt offerings at the temple in Jerusalem. And that's going to change. I'm sorry. Yep, go ahead. Saul got in trouble for building an altar for instead of waiting on Samuel to come. Saul got in trouble for a lot. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that. Saul, Saul was a bad boy. We'll talk about him uh, next week. I wanna, let me come in on the, yep. uh, the discernment here yep. on Samuel's part. And I'm going to take yep. a little bit of liberty and try yep. to put myself in his head. And I like the fact that he says, so far, he's helped us. 
I was um, just thinking this morning that in my prayer time, I'm not, I've not been listening for responses. Huh. And I okay. think I, it's a product of my own strengthening of my faith that I just go, here, God, this is what I yep. need. And I just walk away and like, ah, he'll take care of me, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have to really listen and, and pay attention to what he's saying to me. And I think that <clears throat> it would have been real easy for the Israelites here to yep. say, or Samuel to say, oh, God's back. He's got us. We're just done. We got the ark back. Everything's good. But he said, so far, God has helped us. And, I mean, I think, for me, anyway, I think he's trying to remind the Israelites that, okay, we're on this path now. We're, we're seeking God the way it should be. And don't forget, he's helped us this far. we got to keep going. Mm-hmm. And when is it that we, as Christians, return to God? It's usually when things are not going so well. Exactly. And we can either go this way, it's like, hey, screw you, God, or whatever, or I need you right now. And I think that's what's happening. And pretty soon we are going to see that centralized government. We're going to see the king set up, and you're going to see the greatness of Solomon. You know, but this is where it starts so far. So I like the contrast between what we read where the ark is stolen, because they just said, hey, let's go attack, you know, Philistia. And here, God is showing them, like, they have Samuel pray for them. They don't have to do anything. God shows them that I can conquer the armies. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to go out in battle mm-hmm. because I cause them to kill each other. Like, you don't even have to do anything. If you just <laughs> seek me, I will take care of it. Like, you don't even have to do anything. Sennacherib attacked Hezekiah. How many of Assyria's troops were killed in a single night by an angel of the Lord? Like How many of Israel's military had to kill a single person on that night? Yeah. Folks, this happened before. why do we make this so complicated for ourselves? Why do we do this? What, what is the human nature about thinking you have to be in control and do it? It was the same way with Saul. Saul had to do it. He had, he had to move forward and do something because he felt that he had to do it. Yes. And like we think if we're in control, we want to be in control. But in all actuality, we are not in control. We're not even in control of our own breath, for crying out loud. I think uh, the internal um, power struggle in humans really is comes down to good and evil. And I think that um, we're constantly pulled. I mean, it was idol worship back then, and now it's you know money, music, power, fame, whatever. I mean, it's the same kind of idol worship. It's just different idols now. And I think we still have that power struggle constantly in us, and we think we have to be controlling something or we're, or we're just lost. We don't understand that we don't need to control anything. I think part of it just incrementally is like when you get to a certain point I don't know, of uh, power or esteem or whatever, affluence, you want to maintain that mm-hmm. because you're comfortable. This is where you are, and I think that's where you lose control. But James wants to say something. I do want to say something. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's a large disconnect between the infinite and the finite. Mm. In fact, the finite, it's impossible to understand the infinite. Mm. We can understand the principle involved in it, but to actually understand what it is is impossible. So the timeline for the finite runs like this. And the timeline and the trajectory and the timeline runs like this for the finite. And the, and the infinite runs this way. 
right? But we can't see that. And, and the infinite's not bound by time. And so I want him to do things now. So if you're not going to rain your thunder, I must rain my thunder. That's it. That's it. That's very, I'm going to call you Dr. James. And the reason I'm going to do that is you're very philosophical. I love your thinking here. I love your thinking here. Because I might not have another 30 years to mm -hmm. wait for yours. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. but that's, but that's, that's it. That's, that's the it. Disconnect. Yep. I think the. Somebody who's not bound by yeah. time or space, yeah. 30 years doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine Moses in the desert? He's like, I just want to go to the promised land. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I want yep. to do. Well, and there's a perfect example. Now, I know that, I know that you could see, I know that you could see all this stuff, right? But, but like, God takes him up there, and then all yep. of a sudden, boop, clears the air, and now you can see everything. See, that's a mm -hmm. finite being, mm -hmm. not bound by limitations of time and distance and space. And, I think some of it comes to not listening to God, though. I mean, sometimes there are things we're expected to do, like, you know, pray and trust him. And, you know, even the fasting was part of connecting back to God. And sometimes we get so confused on what are we supposed to do, what's wow. our part in this, what's God's part in this, that we overthink it. And we think we need to do, be doing things to either earn God's, you know, trust or love or to make the right things happen how, like how we're many supposed of you, to be acting mm -hmm. how many of you listen to god when you pray be honest every time you pray do you spend time listening i'm guilty how do you listen to god be still be still okay how else understand I, who he is and what how he'll speak to us okay be so knowing this speaker and his character will help, okay? <clears throat> I feel like God speaks to me through when I'm reading the Bible. Like okay. I've noticed like certain themes keep coming up, like last week kept coming up, and I was like, oh, this is very interesting that every day that I'm reading, <laughs> the same thing is coming up. I think God is trying to tell me something. I think that's awesome. And also, <laughs> I also, think watch, also watch what he does. Yeah. Because yep. yeah. mm -hmm. if you're focused on listening to him, See what he's going to do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes God definitely sends me signs, or I'll even pray for specific signs if I'm trying, if I'm struggling with something, mm -hmm. you know, really big. I'll pray for God to make it clear to me, and usually it's right upside your face if you do that. Well, growing up, there used to be a saying: "God helps those that help themselves." So, and what's the problem with that sometimes? And I think that's the problem. <clears throat> I think, yeah. Because it depends on how you define help yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's the problem we get into. Oh, well, I've heard these stories about, well, this man in a flood kept praying that God would save him from the flood, and they sent three men in boats, and eventually he drowned. And, and he goes to heaven, and God says, well, I sent you ask, and I sent three men in boats. Why didn't you get into one of the boats? Yeah. The problem is that we confuse that with, well, I need to do everything I can physically and mentally, and then I'll let God be the one that fills in the gaps. Yeah. I'll do everything on my own, and then I'm just going to expect God will just kind of, you know, be the last kick to, like, get me over the thing. What's the problem with that philosophy? So yes. You're the one planning everything. You're the one expecting God to be fit in this tiny box that you call, okay, God, I've done everything. Now I just need you to sign on the dotted line. See, again, the disconnect between the finite and the infinite. 
Yes. Well, we carve out, what, 10 minutes in the morning to read his word or pray. Yep. Thanks, guys. We'll see you. That's it. <laughs> I did my part. Morning. Check. Maybe. <laughs> I think another you know. problem is we, we want to take we want to take credit for what oh, God does. Yes. What did you say? I just said we want to take credit for what God yeah. does. Yep. Oh, I prayed God did this. Look at this I'm great church I built. Right. I yep. Did this. That's it. Or at I least think. take part take credit for it. I prayed. Well, know. I you know I don't want to brag, but I prayed about that. I did. So you're welcome. A B C D E and. Yeah. Yeah. I think also sometimes we want God to take away our suffering and we don't we don't see the gifts that are coming from that suffering if we stay in it. Like we're praying for things to be resolved quickly or for things to go away and God has a plan for that suffering or for those situations and we don't see it so we you know we feel like he's abandoned us or isn't taking care of us. I'm going to get back to what Dr. James said because it's really important. It all comes down to timing. It all comes down to timing. This is the Brian Freeman uh, uh, thought. So, of course, it's right. You have to believe it. Um, <laughs> at what point do you act? Because I do 100% believe it is, it is your expectation from God that you need to act at some point. Okay? When do you act? Before or after you ask God what to do? <laughs> after. Sometimes he'll say just all you have to do is put your foot in the water. There you go. Mm -hmm. You've got to take that step of faith. And sometimes he push you too. Yes. you got the angels that's pulling Lot and his family out, like grabbing his hand. Let's go. It's time to go. Yeah. So, I mean, if you were in tune, in tune with God and you get to the point in your life where your faith is bigger than anything else that you put your faith into, like, do you put your faith in money? Put your faith in God more. Because that could be gone. But you got have your faith in your family. Put your faith in God more because your family's never not always going to be there, but God will. I mean, that infinite. The ark was in Kiriath Jerim for twenty years. Sometimes, if you listen to what God has to say, He might say, "I, I do the smoking thing," because He's like, "You, you, you, you ridiculous, you ridiculous humans, just wait, you know, just be patient." Why do you have to? Why do you have to be so impatient? Sometimes God's answer is, "Just wait, just wait." But I get back to this. This is this is the crowning piece. How are you going to know what God wants you to do? How are you going to know? You got to ask Him first. You got to ask, and you got to listen, and then you got to do all these things. And there's one more here I want to I want to say that's missing that I think is really important. And you're kind of doing it here today. It's a clue. Fellowship with other Christians. That's exactly it. Look, <laughs> I am going to tell you right now, if you read the New Testament, the New Testament, the entire message of the New Testament is, you are not alone. There are, when two or more are gathered in my name, there is God. The whole point is, your Christian brothers and sisters and your elders uh, who shepherd your flock are there for you to help, help you understand what God's will is too. It's not all on you. This is a really big one. I want to be careful in saying this, but sometimes yep. you've got to act and see. I agree with this. And then what, Ken? What's the magic part here? Trust in a bit. What happens if you act and see? What are the two What are the kind of the two basic outcomes that could happen? It would be humble that it might be wrong what you're doing. It might not work. Yeah. There's this whole thing. Don't you love oh. Corteva? They, the whole fail fast, right? McKinsey, right? I love. Okay, fine. I'm not going to bash on them, but you know, one of their things is you should be you should be willing to fail fast. Fail fast means I'm going to try something. I'm going to act. If it doesn't work, what am I going to do? Change my 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it immediately. The worst thing you can do is say, what do you want me to do, God? You think you know, you act. If it fails and it fails and it fails, maybe that's a sign that's not really what you should be doing right now, right? So cut it out. Because yeah, being, being still, my ex-wife used to say all the time, hope is not an action plan. Because I would just hope that things would get better, you know, and just sit back. And God's gonna take care of it. I'll just this is awesome. I'll just wait. And she's like, oh, do something about this, you know. Well, doing is in your nature. God is a doer. Yeah. Yeah. That's we are created in His image that we are to do stuff. Yeah. Well, I, yes. I like the term to co-create with God. Ooh, to do. I think. Um, well, hold on a sec. Hold on. I want to hear this more. This is a good one. I want to hear what you mean by that. Again, created in His image. Uh-huh. He's a creator. We are creative too. Yeah. We have mm-hmm. that capacity mm-hmm. to create. And if we can join with Him and to to build things, yeah. Build, this is good. Step pray, step pray, step pray. It's, it's yeah. yeah, with Him oh, instead, of, right. instead of running out ahead. I like this. You know, and going. Eh. You know, if you're going the wrong way, maybe they'll just send a whale. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> They're going the wrong way. <laughs> just keep swimming. I like this. <laughs> okay. Well, I was just going to say where he said, you know, hope isn't an action plan. Um, faith without deeds, it says, is dead. You know, you should be, when you're praying, you should be listening to God and doing, you know, as he's instructing you instead yep. of just saying, well, God's got this all the time and not doing anything, too. Right. Like there's a balance. Now we're going to transition because it's really important. When we transition into chapter 8, I want to ask you what happens when you ask God and you keep asking him and you keep asking him for the same thing and he keeps telling you no and he keeps telling you no and he keeps telling you no. Chapter 8 is so good. Why? Because as we're going to see here, you're going to find out what happens when you keep relentlessly pestering God for something that he has clearly told you is not the right path. Be careful what you ask for. Why? You might get it. Yeah. Chapter 8, yeah. verses 1 to 22. Who would like to read that for me? I can do it. Thank you. When Samuel was old, he made his sons judges for Israel. His first son was named Joel, and his second son was named Abijah. Joel and Abijah were judges in Beersheba. But Samuel's sons did not live as he did. They tried to get money dishonestly, and they accepted money secretly to make wrong judgments. So all the older leaders came together and met Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You're old, and your sons don't live as you do, so give us a king to rule over us like all the other nations. When the older leaders said that, Samuel was not pleased. He prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told Samuel, Listen to whatever the people say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being their king. They are doing as they have always done. When I took them out of Egypt, they left me and served other gods. They are doing the same to you. Now listen to the people, but warn them what the king who rules over them will do. So Samuel told those who had asked him for a king what the Lord had said. Samuel said, If you have a king ruling over you, this is what he will do. He will take your sons, and he will make them serve with his chariots and horses. They will run in front of the king's chariot. The king will make some of your sons commanders over thousands or fifties. He will make some of your other sons plow his ground and reap his harvest. He will take others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to make perfume and cook and bake for him. He will take your best fields, vineyards, and olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take one-tenth of your grain and grapes and give it to his officers and servants. He will take your male and female servants, your best cattle, and your donkeys. 
and use all of them for his own work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. But when that time comes, you will cry out because of the king you chose. But the Lord will not answer you then. But the people would not listen to Samuel. They said, no, we want a king to rule over us. Then we will be the same as all the other nations. Our king will judge for us and go with us and fight our battles. After Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated their words to the Lord. And the Lord answered, you must listen to them. Give them a king. Then Samuel told the people of Israel, go back to your towns. <laughs> I love the last one. God's like, tell them they can have a king. What does Samuel say? Just go home. <laughs> I'm not dealing with you people today, right? What do you take from this, this passage? There's a lot in there. Well, it's interesting, the parallel between Samuel and Eli. Ah, yes. And the wayward sons. And, and Eli was held responsible for being a bad parent to these sons. It's interesting that they're in Beersheba, but he's in Ramah, and they're not close to each other. This isn't really the same area. Yeah. Whereas Eli sits right in the there. same place. Further away I move from my parents, I can what do whatever I want. I think I think I part of me wishes that God was this straightforward with warnings today as he you know was back then he was like this is what's going to happen you know make sure you tell them everything that's going to happen if they get it I mean sometimes it is but sometimes you really I mean sometimes I feel like we go into some things blindly but you're right the Bible gives us a lot of the answers I've been doing this study on first and second kings and we just got to the part where it's, you know, Jer- Solomon's died and Jeroboam's king. And uh, the first thing the people do is they say, like, Solomon, you know, he's made us slaves. We have t- too much taxes. It's too hard. He, you're, you know, Solomon was too hard on us. Rehoboam, please be easier on us. And Rehoboam's like, no, I'm going to listen to these other people. And I'm going to... my. My pinky is stronger than my, my father's leg. Yep. <laughs> so, and that worked out so well. Yeah. But like, so they're seeing, and that's only, what, three kings later, mm-hmm. they're already seeing. Yeah. Less than 100 years later. Just how hard having a king is on them. What did, first I wanted to pick the very first thing, um, the very first sentence. I'm going to make the claim, Samuel was the last judge of Israel. Why would I claim that? Based on verse one, because he, they didn't accept his uh, uh, Israel did not accept his sons. But more than that, who appointed his sons as judges? Samuel did not God. This is it. Goodness uh, gracious, Samuel. And, this, you know, we want to pile on the yeah. people of Israel yep. here. Yep. But maybe they're sitting back saying, "Hey, these two guys are buffoons. Yep. We can't follow them. They aren't. You know, they haven't been appointed by God." This is great. This is this is so good. No one is 100% good or evil, okay? As much as we want it to be, except Jesus Christ, and he is a special case, right? Samuel is good and bad. He's got his good and his bad qualities. I love this because I didn't think about that, Steve. I'm going to be totally blunt with you. I didn't think of it that way, that while Samuel is now kind of erring in, in not seeking God's counsel on who should be the next ruler, the what people of Israel supposed, might be. What are they supposed to yeah. do? Sit back and accept these two guys who are clearly yep. the wrong people? Yep. 
So then they're looking around thinking, all right, what's our alternative? That's it. Let's ask God for a king because it seems to be working for these places around us. Well, <coughs> God agreed with them. So what did the Israelites think they were getting with a monarchy? Let's be clear here. They said, we'll be like the same as other nations, and the king will judge for us and go out and fight our battles. King. <laughs> so, I think fights. they thought they would be getting an extension of God. Okay. It's really Free. where they went wrong is where they, where, where they wanted to be like the other countries. I mean, having the king, if their motivation were to follow God, mm-hmm. well, then maybe that would have worked out right. But their motivation was to be like everybody else who was not following God. But why? But why? Why did they want to be like others? And this first one is a big clue. It's the king that's going to fight. Who's who is responsible right now for defending Israel? There. Every they, single everybody. Israelite. Mm-hmm. What do they want to pass on the buck? I'm giving you the answer. They want to pass the buck on. Mm-hmm. I want to say I wanted that to be the king's. Res- I want to worry about <clears> like, dude, having fun. I want to grow my crops. I want to hang out at the festivals. Let the king deal with that. Okay. It'll bring them more stability. Stability. Yep. That's right. that's exactly it. What else? Free free health care and education. <laughs> <laughs> How do I write this? <laughs> it's, uh, stuff. Uh, economic free stuff. economic improvement. But 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 let's be clear. That means um, yeah they they want to benefit from it. They they all want to benefit economically from this. Mm-hmm. I think they want a status. Status. Oh my gosh, this is a good one. I hadn't even thought of that, but I think that's absolutely right. Status. Well, we're like we're Israel. Don't mess with us. We have the king. Didn't they still think God's on our side, so we're okay? We can kind of, in a sense, do what we want. God can have a king. I think that's fair. I don't think it's all bad. I think it's fair. On our side, what are they really going to get? What else? Tax. Yep. Taxes. Oh, We're gonna get volunteered <laughs> to be in the army yep. and to conscription. Yeah. Look, you don't get you don't get anything for free. Where are the where are the warriors coming from? They're your sons are gonna be warriors, and he's gonna take well, them. And your, and your crops too. You're gonna get yep ten percent. You're gonna get up ten percent of all of all property. And I don't know if it's David or if it's Solomon, but like it records like each tribe took a month and fed the mm-hmm. king's household, and the amount of food that each month like a different tribe had to contribute was like huge. But it's not all bad. <laughs> what what else are they getting with this? They are going to get this. Don't make no mistake about it. They're going to get a king who can organize and centralize all aspects of their lives. It's, it's like they got exactly what they asked for, folks. He's going to do this, but there is no free lunch here. The only way this works is if that king now can do all of the things on the bottom. That's the only way this works. So they will get economic improvement. Just the third king of Israel is going to mark the height economically and militarily of the Israelite nation. They will never be again as wealthy and as strong militarily as they will be under Solomon. But here's the problem. When I ask for something, I ask for it thinking through the eyes of an individual. When the king says we'll provide that, 
they think of it through the eyes of the general populace. Of course, yes. So there are going to be people who yep. die, even though they mm -hmm. wanted to be protected. There are going to be people who lose their their businesses, even though the economics mm -hmm. improve. There yep. are going to be people who, you know, all these terrible things that they thought they were going to be protected from individually are still going to yep. happen to individuals. <laughs> That's just it. Just not as much to the general populace. And the biggest problem of all is what happens when all societies trend towards economic affluency and stability. What is that? They think it's on that they did it all. Okay. They, they take pride and, and account for it, and they say, it's all up to me. I did all of this. But, but more endemically, what happens? There's other people that want it. And what happens when they want it? <coughs> they, they go get it. You will see... <laughs> And, and, and maybe you're not saying it, that I'm going to say it this way, the, the amount of corruption mm -hmm. that ends up happening becomes systemic. It becomes untenable. Folks, this has happened in every wealthy society in human history. Mm -hmm. Every wealthy society in human history has gotten to the point where things get so good, people start to break away from their moral and ethical beliefs mm -hmm. and follow whatever they want in order to get more and more and more of stuff for themselves. Mm -hmm. The United States is the wealthiest country that has ever lived on the face of the earth. Where are we headed? No. I'm sorry to say it. I'm sorry if you think that America is awesome and it's going to be great forever. And yes, it has been blessed by God. I'm not saying it hasn't. It absolutely has because I believe a lot of the people that helped found this nation were Christian and they believed and asked God for what to do. But it I is inevitable. But on that the this same is going to happen. We, there are those who are still faithful. Yeah. They're still following God, seeking Him out, and yeah. put Him first in everything. And just like Sodom and Gomorrah, God will spare, I think. Now, He may allow destruction of the U.S., but I think as a people, I think as Christians, that we're, we're going to survive, you know, regardless of where we are and what happens on the outside, because our faith. In him is so much greater than what we put our faith in here on this earth. I'll see your Sodom and Gomorrah and raise you a Roman Empire. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. Mm -hmm. The Roman Empire was the wealthiest empire that had ever lived on the face of the earth. What happened to the people who were Christians who believed and followed God after the Roman Empire? Got bigger. They won. Yeah. <laughs> it, they won. So you can't just say that you are tied as a Christian to whatever boat is sinking in the in the economic. <laughs> but again. The disconnect between infinite and finite, mm -hmm. there were a lot of people who didn't win in that moment. But t describe win then. Well, but see, that's my point, is that that's the hardest thing for us to grasp. That's exactly it. Is that, how am I winning? I'm sitting here, I'm about to be eaten by lions. Yep. How is that winning? This so is what we've got to do, James. This is exactly true. You have to redefine what it means to win yeah. to your non-Christian right. brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And you hit that exact the, the principle yep. when you said it's how we define yep. help. See, it's how we define everything. We define it through this straight line yep. of uh, this two-dimensional straight line yep. or this linear. Linear. Yep, that's, yeah, I can't be a doctor without being able to sit down. <laughs> 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 our our non-Christian friends say, I would rather win yep. now that's than exactly win it. for eternity. That's it. And it's, you're all your perspective. And, and, and all, you, all we can do is really share truth. And I, yep. and I think the answer is, you're absolutely right, Tim, in saying it's really hard for non-Christians to wrap their heads around the fact that this isn't all there is. 
I've got, you know, X number of years left on this planet. I'm going to live my life any way I want and get all I can because this is all there is. The very first thing we have to convince people of is that ain't true. You are more special than a blip on the radar of eternity. That's the difference between world peace yep. and inner peace. We get to live with peace yeah. regardless of, or irregardless, was that the word? <laughs> Supposedly. 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 I've got an interesting cross-reference that kind of alludes to the fact that Israelites maybe didn't just dream this king thing up okay. from observation around them. Mm-hmm. Um, Deuteronomy 17, 14. Uh, when you come to the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you, you possess it and dwell in it. And then then mm-hmm. say, I will set a king over me. Mm-hmm like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, yep. and the Lord your God will choose one from among your brothers who yep. shall set as a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. And then he goes on to say yep. qualifications and things. So it wasn't something, you know, they didn't just dream this king concept up. I mean, it, it was something that was said, the Lord will put someone over you as your king. They're probably just saying, hey, I think now's the time, God. Yeah. Well, and, they're, and God said yes. Right. He approved that. I think, it, go read Deuteronomy. <clears throat> read Deuteronomy. Why? First of all, Jesus quotes it a lot. The New Testament quotes it a lot. Deuteronomy is the foundation of our monotheistic, centralized vision of what Israel became and will become again. Deuteronomy not only predicted the monarchy... It predicted the exile. If you read on um, there, you will see that it very clearly says, and guess what? You're not going to do it. You're not going to follow God. And guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to be right back to where you were today. We don't want to read that part, though. That's <laughs> it. That's it. We only hear what we want to hear. That's it. No, that's exactly it. Who was it that uh, said that Israel was going to be exiled? Was it God told uh, one of the prophets to tell the king to say, hey, this um, He's not going to feel any of the pain, but his sons will. And he's like, "Well, at least I won't feel the pain." But my, remember that? Remember that story? I can't. Like, is that? I pray that we're not like that. Like, well, my time is going to be fine. I'm going to be comforted here in the next 15. Well, David even does that when he does the census. He's not supposed to. God's like, well, you know, you can be chased by your enemies for two years. Something could, I can't remember. And then, or everybody could get a disease for three days. Yep. And like the first two only like really affected him, and the third one affects all of Israel. And he's like, yeah, let's pick that one. <laughs> and I'm like, that's great. What do I you think that. the national debt is? Exactly. Let's kick him again. Yeah. We're good at that. Humans are really, they really can't grasp big numbers and they can't grasp time. We live great today, right? Mm-hmm. No concept of what's coming. Buy it on credit card today. You can take it off sometime. Yeah, it's free stuff. It. Yeah. Any final thoughts on today? What we've read. We will, next week, begin our monarchy journey. We will start to talk about the first man who was raised to be the official anointed king. If you read Judges, there was a man in the period of the judges who anointed himself king. That's a jeopardy question. We will not talk about that. We will talk about the first officially anointed king of Israel, who is Saul. So join us next week. Thank you.